So this evening I'd like to touch on the parami that we haven't yet touched upon over the week. And it is the parami of renunciation. I'd like to begin with a poem by Naomi Shihamnai. She called it Adios. It's a good word rolling off the tongue. No matter what language you were born with, use it, learn where it begins, the small alphabet of departure. How long it takes to think of it, then say it, then be heard. Marry it more than any golden ring. It shines, it shines. Wear it on every finger till your hands dance, touching everything easily, letting everything easily go. Strap it to your back like wings or a kite tail, the stream of air behind a jet. If you are known for anything, let it be the way you rise out of sight when your work is finished. Think of things that linger, leaves, cartons and napkins, the damp smell of mold. Think of things that disappear. Think of what you love best, what brings tears into your eyes. Something that said adios to you before you knew what it meant or how long it was for. Explain little. The word explains itself. Later, perhaps. Lessons following lessons. Like silence following sound. I have a friend. She has a, a lot of anxiety about flying in airplanes. She considers this... (laughs) You are really ready to laugh, aren't you? (laughs) She considers it an unnatural thing to do, to be up in the air in this metal tube. So when she flies, she worries. She knows it's painful to worry. And she tells herself she really should let go. But then she says there's another voice inside of herself that says, but after all, someone needs to worry. (laughs) What if nobody on this plane worried? (laughs) So she she realizes somewhere in her mind there's this idea that it's her worrying that is keeping the plane up in the air. I think it sort of describes our human dilemma, doesn't it? We all know the painfulness in clinging. We all know experientially that there is little happiness in grasping. And the outcome of clinging and grasping is actually boringly predictable. Hmm? It's actually going to end up in contractedness, in the kind of anxiety, the sense of stockness, that so much blights our lives and in very real ways leeches joy from our lives. And we probably all tell ourselves many times to let go, 
and yet are all equally aware that our scolding of ourselves is just so ineffective. Even in the midst of our obsessions, we may indeed ourselves hold underlying belief systems that tells us that it is our clinging, our grasping, that keeps people close to us, that might protect us from loss or from our world crumbling. We might, underneath, believe that it is our clinging that protects others and ourselves in some unseen way from harm and from danger. We may even mistake clinging for connection. There is a simple reality that is part of all of our lives um, that we are asked to let go countless times. And we see in some real way that that is the price we pay to live our life fully a life in which many, many things let go of us. The Buddha proposed a very simple formula that clinging and grasping and holding are experiences that are laced with suffering and that they lead to greater suffering. And that the degree of freedom and peace and happiness that we can know in this life is equal to the degree that we find in ourselves the capacity to let go, the capacity for relinquishing, for unbinding. In the Buddhist teaching of liberation, it was, it's taught in a very, very uncompromising way that renunciation is central to a path and a heart of freedom. But also that renunciation is a very profound gesture of self-compassion and of compassion for all beings, for our planet and for the world that we live in. A renunciation, if you look within a kind of Buddhist teaching, renunciation is one of the three wise intentions, very much interwoven with the intention of kindness and the intention of compassion. And it is these three wise intentions woven together that guide a life of integrity, of relatedness, and of freedom. And as we practice here and embrace this path and this teaching, there's a way in which we're learning almost in some unspoken way. There's a way in which we're learning about that possibility of profound inner freedom. And it's interesting, it's an interesting thing to acknowledge in your own mind perhaps that you are part of a renunciate tradition. I mean, just sense how that lands with you. 
that as you practice here and practice in this path, that you are actually taking part in a renunciate tradition. Learning really moment to moment what it is to unbind our hearts from confusion and entanglement and fear. The path and the practice of renunciation lead very, very directly to deep, deeply understanding the three universal laws, the three universal characteristics of all that is born. That there is indeed unsatisfactoriness in this life. And it really asks to be understood. There is the unarguable reality of change and instability from which none of us are exempt. And there is the question of self and non-self, which we are all invited to question and to explore. And yet I think for many, renunciation is a very difficult word to embrace and indeed a very difficult challenge to embody. Even the word, I think, when we hear it, can hold these kind of echoes of coldness or disconnection or separation or apartness when we see how much our hearts so deeply yearn for greater connection and greater intimacy with all things. I think in our lives of women, which are often so, so built around relationships, so built around caring, so built around looking out for the people that we love, um, we hear the word renunciation and it seems to, to kind of, I don't know, imply distancing from all of that. We see the reality in our life of how our days are enriched and our lives are enriched by our interactions, by, by loving. How even that those we struggle with actually ask us to really meet what is, it seems, almost most human, most authentic within ourselves. And at first, renunciation seems to have different different connotations, different echoes of, of not caring, of getting rid of things. And we have, of course, this very simple reality that we all know just how very difficult it is to let go of anything. We see how embedded our emotional habit patterns of clinging and holding and grasping really feel to be in our life. In fact, if you just cast your, your mind back over the day to day, um, we, we see that undoing this habit feels almost impossible. We cling to sights to sounds, to lunch, <laughs> to our last meditation, to our thoughts of future happiness, 
to people we love. We cling too to people we struggle with. Sometimes we think even more about them. We cling to memories, to hopes, to roles, to my space. We could even very well wonder what our life would look like without clinging. We could imagine that as somehow very bleak or feelingless. Um, we could also recognize that it might be a life of not knowing and how much we actually cling to knowing. Mm. So it is so important, I think, as we reflect upon renunciation to be crystal clear about what is actually being let go of. Not the people we love, not the things we deeply value in this life. We are not letting go of this full and vibrant world of our senses. We're not letting go of our aspirations, our relationships, our capacity to care. What we are actually learning to let go of is suffering. We're learning to let go of struggle and its causes. We're learning to let go of the sorrow of the contracted and the fearful heart. We're learning to let go of the afflictive emotions of fear and ill will and confusion so that that which is lovely and that that which is wakeful, the kindness, the compassion, the empathy, the sensitivity, so that all of these can flourish. Renunciation is born of love. Loving the freedom of the heart unbound. And certainly in my own experience, there is no renunciation without understanding and insight. Without understanding, we don't have renunciation. All that we have is command, it's control, sometimes it's aversion about how I should be what I need to get rid of. How do I get out of this? In this system, we're actually not letting go. In the command and should system, this is not renunciation, and we're not letting go of anything. All that we are doing is rejecting and resisting and pushing away and avoiding. And all of these, of course, are the near enemies of renunciation. I would say the shadow side of renunciation is to kind of walk away from or to turn our backs on um, all that we dislike and all that we can't accept. And I have seen this too much in the spiritual world, in the Dharma world. To say, oh, I'm you know, just renouncing something. Actually, I'm, I'm just turning away from it. In understanding renunciation, what we're asked to understand, to put it incredibly simply, is to understand the way things actually are, 
And then we are asked to align our hearts and our lives with that understanding, with that core actuality. And what we are aligning our hearts and our lives and our minds with is what I refer to as the unarguables of every human life. I have a very short list of the unarguables. And I didn't invent it. There is unsatisfactoriness. At times that's very painful. There's loss, there's disconnection, there's pain in this life. Nothing will stand still for us. Have you noticed that? Nothing is actually graspable. And in my own experience, and, and I encourage you to try this out for yourself, I have spent a very long time looking for an enduring, reliable me without a great deal of success. So much of the struggle and the turmoil that we can and do experience in our own hearts and minds is actually not born of these realities. Now, these realities can be very sad. You know, loss is not emotionally neutral. But the struggle and the turmoil we experience, of course, is born very much of our reactions to these unarguables. There can be, actually, a good deal of dissonance between the simple truths of this moment and the way that we want it to be or insist that it is. There can be a good deal of dissonance between what is actually happening in our hearts, our lives, our bodies in this moment and the way that we demand or insist we should be or that others should be. A renunciation, in my understanding, is very much concerned with healing this dissonance. And in healing the dissonance, bringing to an end so much of the turmoil, which in reality is optional. There's much that delights us in this life. The colors of the sun setting, a lovely meal, the people who care for us, the beauty of nature, on occasion, a lovely sitting, (laughs) caring for others. There's also a good deal that's actually not so pleasant, that's painful, that's uncomfortable, that's sad, not getting what we want, getting the lunch we don't want. A sitting that fails to meet our expectations. Difficult people, illness, aging, and the pain of all the losses we are asked to embrace in this life. It is a very personal reality, all of this, you know, felt for each of us in ways that are actually somewhat unique to us, in ways that we need to respect and to honor. And that personal reality sits within the universal reality. You look around yourself here. Every woman in this room, every one of you, has or is or will be asked to embrace the landscape of loss and the landscape of pain. 
In my own life, and I have reflected on this a lot in the last few years, I've really come to see that my relationship both to pleasure and to pain comes to define me as a human being. Think on that. How I live my life and how I engage with the world. If I fear pain, dread pain, if I only know how to react to the painful and the unpleasant with aversion, my heart will surely become agitated and contracted. I will surely have a waterfall of thinking. I will engage in endless ongoing actions and choices to avoid pain. And this is what we call grasping and clinging. I can know deeply how to appreciate the lovely and the pleasant and the gladdening. And I, in my mind, can also take that next step, the endless journey of trying to maintain and cling to the pleasant. My wants turn into needs. My needs turn into dependency. And my dependency will solidify a sense of insufficiency. And I will also have a waterfall of thinking. I will also, in the clinging to the pleasant, become agitated. How do I keep this? How do I maintain it? How do I have more more of it? I can come to feel that my life will crumble if I don't succeed in maintaining and holding onto the pleasant sensation, the pleasant event, the pleasant experience. Even even the person I care for most deeply. So then I will, even in the midst of the pleasant, experience the painfulness of clinging and grasping. I think to understand, well, insight is to understand what freedom has. We're asked to explore and to be willing to meet this whole nature of clinging and our own relationship to pain and pleasure, to the lovely and the unpleasant. And I think this is a very genuine reflection. It's a very genuine investigation I would almost suggest it's the homework of our lives. How does our relationship, the relationship we currently have to the pleasant and to the unpleasant, define who we believe ourselves to be as a human being, as a woman? Clinging and grasping, we are asked to understand is really only an intensification, a continuum of craving and aversion. It's not something apart. It's to see that it's a continuum. It's an an intensification. It's a magnification. You know, you think about it, you could have, um, you like the candle. It's a pretty, a pleasant That's lovely. Think about what could could come next. I'd like to have the candles always lit. 
I think I'll write a note to the office. No, they write a note back saying we can't have the candles. Why can't we have the candles always lit? I need to have them. My sittings are much better when the candles are lit. You see the continuum? We sat today, there were a few sounds outside. Hammers striking nails. Some people might experience it as unpleasant. No, shouldn't be happening. It's a retreat center, should be quiet. I can't sit with that. It's ruined my retreat. Huh? <laughs> Again, I'm going to write a note. <laughs> But you can see, you can see it, can't you? I mean, the whole continuum, the whole build-up, the whole construction. The really, in a sense, defines who we are in that moment. Now, it is very clear we're not short of opportunities to explore our reactions to the pleasant and the unpleasant. We're not short of opportunities to explore craving and aversion. It's not to demand that craving and aversion don't arise. They do. But they ask to be understood. They ask to be explored. What is the felt sense of craving? What is the felt sense of aversion? Is there any happiness in the midst? Is there any peace in the midst of being held in their grip? Is there balance? Is there spaciousness? Is there kindness? Is there compassion? Is there confidence? Is there a sense of freedom in the midst of craving and aversion? This is something to explore quite experientially. We could take questions like these into all those moments when craving and aversion arises. They may be questions that interrupt the continuum, that remind us actually of the possibility of stepping out of that flow. They may be questions that hold the key to renunciation to a heart unbound. Mary Oliver once wrote a few lines in one of her poems. She says, everything, every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. Now renunciation, I think quite important to understand, it's not something we do. Renunciation is an embodiment of an understanding. It's an embodiment of understanding the universal universal law of impermanence, the unarguable nature of change, because it doesn't that just make a mockery of clinging. Hmm? Because that universal law of change means that actually nothing in this life is graspable. Now we all know about impermanence, you know, I'm sure. Nobody here intellectually disagrees with this. And yet we can suffer some pretty prolonged bouts of amnesia. <laughs> we could all have deep and philosophical discussions about the reality of change, but it's not so easy for us to live in the light of impermanence. 
or most importantly, to embrace the implications of this universal law. Of course, sometimes we're very happy about impermanence. The bell goes, particularly when it benefits us. You know, We're happy about impermanence when it benefits us. That's the bottom line. The bell goes at the end of a challenging sitting. I'm very happy at the end of a root canal. <laughs> very happy when the pain of a broken leg goes away, when my difficult neighbor moves house, when a, a kind of mind, emotional storm, obsession comes to an end. Grasping is much more the reaction to the changes that we can't embrace. Clinging is much more the mechanism we use to pretend that impermanence and change in that which we cherish will not happen. That somehow clinging and grasping will, in some bizarre way, prevent us from loss. There is no doubt that change and loss can be deeply painful. Separation from those we love is heartbreaking. But it's true. It's part of the fabric of all of our lives. Clinging is noticeably lacking, not only in resonance, not only in resonance with the way things actually are, but clinging is often noticeably lacking in compassion and kindness for ourselves and for all those around us. Sometimes we tell ourselves in the face of loss or changes we can't accept that it's our fault. We did something wrong. Illness, we tell ourselves, might be our fault. Failure, we tell ourselves, might be our fault. A statement of our inability to keep things fixed in place. And then, of course, we drown in self-judgment. One of the things, of course, that clinging tends to do is to fix things in place with a particular view. We have fixed perceptions often about others, about ourselves, about the world. We say they're terrible, a terrible person, they're unmindful, they're insensitive, they're a cold person. I am like this, you know, I'm, I am such a failure, I'm so inadequate, I'm so incomplete. I personally can think of almost no greater act of compassion for ourselves or for another than to liberate ourselves and others from our fixed views and our fixed perceptions of them. To allow another person, to allow ourselves to be the fluid, unchanging being that we are, filled with possibilities. Wittgenstein once said that words deliver us a picture and the picture holds us captive. This is what fixed perceptions do. And the Dalai Lama, in teaching about impermanence, he encouraged people to reflect on what has already disappeared. Reflect on what has already disappeared. For some, it might be your youth might be the many interests you've had in your life, the passions, 
For some, it might be the disappearance of some energy or capacity. For many, what has already disappeared are people who have been part of our lives that we've loved. What is gone are the 10,000 experiences and events of previous moments that may have once featured so strongly in our lives. What is gone are the tens of thousands of thoughts that have passed through our minds. What is gone are the many experiences that have been featured in our lives that are now part of our past, the various obsessions, the various preoccupations that may have governed our minds. The last sitting's gone. The last walking's gone. The last thought has already disappeared. The last breath has gone. Some of this has gone unhappily. Some of it has gone happily. But it is gone. Imagine what our life would be if this is not so. If we had successfully grasped all of the events, the experience of the thoughts, we wouldn't be able to bear it. Hmm? Suzuki Roshi once said that renunciation is not getting rid of the things of the world. It's accepting that they pass away. Now, clinging and grasping is essentially a futile endeavor to deny the reality of change. It's the way that we get into an argument with the unarguable. Hmm? And it is an argument we will never win. Clinging and grasping basically sets us at odds with the way things actually are. And so it is no wonder that clinging and grasping creates so much suffering and pain. What would it be like for us to live in a way where we deeply, deeply accept that all things will pass? For me, that feels like a kind of grace. It doesn't mean that we love less, we care less, appreciate less, but it might mean that we struggle less. In the midst of a mind storm that we are sure will last forever, a body torment where we can see no end, a heartache that feels unbearable, what would it be like for us to be able to live with that deep, deep acceptance that this too is a process, this too will change? I see acceptance that allows us, I think, to live this life fully, to know it in our bones that this too is change. It's such a hard lesson for us to learn because craving, aversion, clinging, grasping, it all happens so quickly, doesn't it? We feel that movement from openness to contractedness to clinging. It can feel so very visceral. Yet our our life keeps asking us to learn these lessons of renunciation. Learning how to align our hearts with the way things actually are, moment to moment, a thousand times in a single day. 
Loss endings, of course, can be deeply sad. They're not emotionally neutral. But within sadness, there can also be a very deep knowing, a stillness, born of embracing the natural laws that touch all our lives. In a way, renunciation is the response of compassion and insight to the realities none of us are exempt from. The realities of the world, of change and conditions. I think renunciation is also deeply concerned with understanding, or beginning to question anyway, the reality, um, the reality of self and the understanding of what is meant by non-self. Anatta. Because this is one of the unarguables we have big arguments with. Now, anatta, or non-self, and please hear I say non-self and not no-self. That non-self is not an ideological statement. It's not a Buddhist thing, really. It's an invitation to investigate the underlying, the many underlying, what is underlying many of the emotional, psychological processes um, of reaction and fear and struggle? What is it that underlies the choices we make? So often there is this underlying belief system that this is me, this is mine, this belongs to me, this is who I am. I am my body, we tell ourselves. I am my past. I am my thoughts. I am my emotions. I am my roles. I am all that I have accumulated. I am all that I will become. We don't even know we have this belief system until somebody sits in my chair. (laughs) Sits in my spot in the dining room questions my authority or disagrees with my views or the body becomes ill, then do we ever hear the voice of me, the voice of selfing arise, the voice of clinging so strongly. Now, renunciation is not interested in any level. It's not concerned on any level with erasing self. Renunciation is concerned with releasing the clinging to views of self. Because we could be fairly certain if this most central domain of clinging remains unquestioned, that clinging and grasping will have a license to continue to govern our lives. Now the view of self, of course, is also not emotionally neutral. Sometimes it's built around aversion, isn't it? I hate this. I really don't like this. I really want this to go away. Sometimes then we form a view about who we are, usually expressed through judgment. I'm hopeless. I'm fearful. I'm failure. I'm not good enough. Sometimes that story is being told to us by others. But sometimes, many times, we recreate, even recreate, even if it's never been told to us by others. We recreate that view of self over and over. 
Sometimes the view of self is very much rooted in craving, again, around body, emotions, thoughts. Oh, a good meditation, I'm terrific, you know. Good workout, I'm going to run an extra mile next week. Good sitting, you know, I have a future as a yogi here. (laughs) It is a view formed through clinging. I invite you to look at the reality of that in your own lived and felt experience, how successful you are at finding a fixed and enduring self. Yes, your teenage view of yourself is probably not your view of yourself today. The sad self at breakfast looks nothing at all like the contented, peaceful self that sits by the pond overlooking the the ice with appreciation. Of course, there are views that linger. They feel more true simply because they've been repeated more often and clung to more often. But do we not see in our in self, in views of self, exactly the same impermanence, the reality of change that we see in all things? What we actually see is not self, but a process of selfing that forms around thoughts, around feelings, around body, around memories, around perceptions. What clinging does is superimpose upon this process a view. And the view creates something solid. Creates an entity, something solid, out of the process of selfing. Now we can surely appreciate the great freedom and the great spaciousness that would be born of learning to take the centrality out of experience, to learn to be able to contemplate self as a process of selfing rather than a thing. I mean, to know this so deeply in our own experience that there's no solid enduring me in the middle of all things. Somehow we assume that it is. Sometimes we assume it is. What really amazes me is, is the fact that many of us have engaged in this contemplation. Many of us have engaged in the contemplation of beginning to see the process of selfing, being born and fading away and reappearing in different forms, moment to moment. Many of us have come to see in looking at our own experience you know, that there is no kind of fixed, enduring center, but instead there, there is a process. And yet even so, even so, and this is the most extraordinary thing, even having done this for countless years, some of you, some of us, <coughs> we can still assume that there is an autonomy of self that is going to let go of self. interesting. We can still assume it's my responsibility to let go and that it's up to me to let go. So it's like like, like there's another layer of self behind this process. (laughs) This one that's going to let go. If I could only find it, then I'm going to be successful. It's no wonder we become so frustrated 
telling ourselves to let go and wondering why it's not working. So perhaps instead we could begin to trace in our own experience the way in which clinging is a continuum of craving and aversion. That as our mind and our attention becomes more lost in the energies of craving and aversion, more, more contracted, more that they intensify, that there is clinging. So we could actually say that craving and aversion are the conditions of clinging. They are the conditions of clinging. So we could also then, if we can accept that I'm not going to let go of anything in this life, we could also then ask, what are the conditions of renunciation? If we can see that craving, aversion, confusion are the conditions of clinging, what then are the conditions of renunciation? What are the conditions that allow letting go to happen? There's a lot of them. You've been cultivating them all week. The conditions of mindfulness, of investigation, of curiosity, of calmness. You have, I think you have seen this in your own experience. Have you noticed, if you're engaged in a sitting or a walking, where the mind feels agitated or contracted or you know, just discontented or restless, that a difficult thought can arise and it just sticks. You know that? It just sticks. And it goes round and round and round and round. Have you noticed you can come into a different sitting or go into a different walking where the climate of the mind is completely different, where there's more calmness, more spaciousness, more contentment, more ease, exactly the same thought can arise and it just passes on through. Seen that in yourself? So the content hasn't changed at all. What has changed is the climate of mind and we might say the conditions in which that content is arising. So what do we do in this path? What do we do in this path? Is that we don't get into these inward battles of shouting at ourselves to let go. We don't judge craving and aversion and clinging. We see its continuum. What we actually do is we cultivate the conditions moment to moment in which letting go happens. In which things let go of themselves. In which renunciation is a natural outcome of the conditions of mindfulness, investigation, equanimity, resolve, patience, all of the qualities that we've talked about this week. These are the conditions in which there can be the arising and also the passing. The conditions of renunciation, the pathways of freedom. Knowing how to find those pathways in the midst of all events, all experiences, in the midst of all the thoughts, the emotions, the changes that arise, cultivating the conditions that we might say lead to the unbinding of the heart, the freedom that allows all moments to be fluid and unfolding, that allows all people to be the fluid and unfolding beings they are, that allows ourselves to be, know that same fluid, unfolding, 
easeful nature. I want to end with a poem. It's called To Have Without Holding by Marge Piercy. Learning to love differently is hard. Love with the hands wide open. Love with the doors hanging, banging on their hinges. The cupboard unlocked. The wind roaring and whimpering in the rooms. Rustling the sheets and snapping the blinds that thwack like rubber bands in an open palm. It hurts to love wide open. Stretching the muscles that feel as if they're made of wet plaster, then of blunt knives and of sharp knives. It hurts to thwart the reflexes of grab, of clutch. To love and let go again and again, it pesters to remember the lover who is not in the bed, to hold back what is owed to the work that gutters like a candle in a cave, without air, to love consciously, conscientiously, concretely, constructively. I can't do it, you say, it's killing me. But you thrive, you glow on the street like a neon raspberry. You float and sail, a helium balloon, bright bachelor's button, blue and bobbing through the wind. We just take a moment quietly together. Time for some walking before the last group sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.